Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. A crowd is extremely swayed by prestige, by symbols of prestige. And when there's no symbols of prestige available, money is a wonderful substitute. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis. And each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears and let's get into this. Come on. Good day. Welcome back. Another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. Today, I interviewed Michael F. Shine, who interestingly actually helped me come up with the name for the Truth Prescription uh, about six years ago. He's the founding president of Microfame Media, a company that helps entrepreneurs and consultants become thought leaders in their particular area of specialization. He has contributed to many magazines, Huffington Post, Forbes, Fortune, Inc., to name a few, he's worked with companies like LinkedIn, University of Pennsylvania, Citrix, eBay, Equifax. And he's the author of the forthcoming book, The Hype Handbook, which looks at how cult leaders, con artists, charlatans, frauds, <laughs> how they use certain techniques to gain fame. So his truth was uh, for him to really accept the power of his creative side, even when it wasn't popular, even when he was getting pressure from his family, and specifically his father. We talk about the techniques uh, that Trump has used uh, on Americans and why he's so popular. We talked about ways that consultants, entrepreneurs, or even everyday folks can use the pandemic in a positive way through the power of acceptance and creativity. We went into a little bit of actually the difficult relationship he had with his father, but how that actually motivated him to be great. And then, of course, we had some fun with Yes or BS. So it's a great episode. We talk a little politics, not too much, but uh, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy it. Open your eyes and close your ears and let's do it. Good people. Welcome back. Another episode of the Truth Prescription podcast. And uh, today I've got somebody special to talk to for several reasons. You heard in the intro what he does, how he does it and who he's done it for. But something that I didn't say is that when I initially started this podcast way back in, was that 2016, I think, Michael is, and his team actually helped me to sort of craft the, the idea of The Truth Prescription and, and come up with the name The Truth Prescription. And um, we were sitting all sitting in a room and a whiteboard and throwing up all these, you know, we had a brainstorming session. And um, so I owe a lot of the uh, beginnings of the of the show to him. And uh, he actually produced the first three episodes. So I thank you for that, Michael. Well, I am really proud of you, Seiko. I got to say, I mean, it, it's it's so cool to see something that you were, you know, part of in, in whatever small way. Yeah. Do so well. I mean, so many people are out there 
making podcasts and yours yours is is kind of a cut above it's the real deal you have listeners you have a whole thing so I'm, I'm proud to have been part of it yeah thank you all right look let's jump right in the truth prescription so for those that are listening for the first time my old listeners know this but the premise of the show is that essentially we are afraid of truth we're scared of truth it's uncomfortable and what we do here is we like to pull back those layers and see what's there because once you accept the truth and what my guests know um, through their experiences that once you have that acceptance, things open up for you. Barriers suddenly break free, doors so suddenly open. And that's what we try to get to uh, here on the show. So Michael, tell us a story, either personally or professionally, about a truth that either you were aware of or maybe just were ign- actually ignoring. And um, once you accepted it, you had a, had a breakthrough. If it's okay with you, I'm going to give you kind of two truths in, in one story. Sure. Um, Absolutely. You know, I was thinking about it when we were preparing for the show, and I think that I'm probably naturally not so good at, at facing the truth. I think I even lied to myself about that. I mean, if you would have asked me 10 years ago if I was good at facing the truth, I would have said sure. But, I, but I, yeah, I, I think that um, I have a propensity to lie to myself a little bit, to protect myself. And, you know, once in a while, that can be a good thing if you're if you're really trying to go after something in life that's really difficult, you know, if you tell yourself, hey, here are the odds, you probably don't have a good shot of it. You probably never will get started, right? But then sometimes it can be real dangerous. And so I've tried to kind of get better all the time at that because I know how important it is. So I never wanted to be in business. I mean, which is ironic because I now own a business, but I, I, I've wanted to be a writer most of my life. I mean, I, I can't remember a time when I didn't read. Mm-hmm. So, and, and um, it, soon after that, I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to do something artistic. I wanted to write novels. I loved as a kid, Roald Dahl and C.S. Lewis. And <laughs> as I got older, Stephen King and yeah. whatever. So one thing led to another night, a very business oriented um, father who success was defined by how much money you made, which isn't that uncommon. Right. So after college, I took a shot at doing the artsy thing. And I, uh, was in a band and we did okay, you know, I mean, far better than we probably could have been expected to do. We sold out a really popular club on, on a Wednesday night. We, yeah, we got some press. We were on Showtime at the Apollo, which we were booed off, but that was still cool. <laughs> we kind of knew we would get booed off, but whatever, you know, we were on TV. And the guy from Kid and Play interviewed us at the end. He's like, what went on there, fellas? He's like, I don't know what happened to your eraser head. I, you know, we all have right. mysteries. You know? right. That's so, nice. um, yeah, I mean, that didn't work out. And I took a job. And, it, and, and I told myself lies the entire way. It was a corporation, but they had a startup division that was doing like an entertainment oriented company. So I told myself, well, this isn't really business, you know, or, or the, this isn't really the type of business I didn't want to do. This is a path on the road to my dream, you know, and then that even though the business model of that startup division I knew was kind of terrible, you know, and that thing folded and they asked me if I wanted to shift into the main company, which which ran um business process outsourcing centers, which is another word for call centers that answer the phone when, you know, for customer service for big companies. And yeah, it was horribly uninteresting to me, but I said, you know, I'll learn business and it's always important to be, to, to know the nuts and bolts of operations, no matter what you do. And writing is a business. You know, I heard voices of certain elder characters in my, my life talking and I'll leave in a couple years, you know? And so I did, I learned a little bit, but then two years became three, three became eight. 
because I started to make, um, I was certainly not rich, but I started to make enough money to um, make it hard to leave. And I told myself stories the entire time. And then one day, but I was unhappy. I mean, I used to feel nauseous in the morning, like literally physically nauseous. I would sit on the toilet lid, gag a little bit, you know, and I just thought that was because I was stressed out or whatever, you know. I don't know when my when my infant was on the way, my my girl Hazel, who's now 10 years old. Mm. I remember my position. I've told this story a lot, but my position was vice president of solution development. And I was working like a dog and I don't even know what my job was. Like, I don't know what that title meant. And I'm, I'm like, I used to want to write novels. I used to want to do this. So I remember saying, like, am I going to be able to tell my daughter, at like, take your dad to, to school day or career day or whatever? that I'm a vice president of solution development at a call center company. <laughs> and I had realized I had been lying to myself the whole time. So that was the yeah. first big truth that, that I had to face. And that was hard, you know? It's big, yeah. I guess the continuing journey in that same story, the second big truth was that um, I felt that, okay, I, I felt like I had reached the end of my Hollywood tale. I've decided I'm going to be a writer. I did it. You know, and that's the last scene in the movie, right? You're a filmmaker. So yeah. at the last scene of the movie, the person pursues their dream and everything pans out. So I figured that's what would happen to me because I'm a good writer and I always have been told that. And I'm like, I'm going to be a freelance copywriter, a freelance content writer. People will pay me for my stuff because I'm awesome. I'm good at that. I may not be good at other things, but I'm good at that. Yeah, I got a few jobs, but I had a year's worth of savings and I burned through it over and over in time and time again. And I had this thing in my mind, like, if you're going to do marketing, you do it in line with like, the way the world ought to be. You know what I mean? My stuff will rise to the top. So if I put it in front of people in this very logical way, they will obviously accept it. And that just didn't and, and work. Didn't. <laughs> Not at all. Um, and out of pure desperation, I started thinking about just stuff I was interested in purely from like a just interest point of view, just yeah. like we all have our, our interest things we like to read about. Some people it's European history, whatever. For me, I was always into like, like cults and, and propaganda. I just found that interesting, but I never made the connection. And I started to say to myself, well, if this, these tactics work so well on people, is it possible that human beings don't just pick the best products and services? Is it possible that they're really irrational? But I don't want that to be true. That can't be true. <laughs> so I guess that was the second thing I faced up to how irrational human beings are in their decision-making. And I will say, and, and this sounds self-serving, but it's true. It was very, very important to me. If the stuff I had found out, I call it hype now, you know, that, and I've taken back that word. If I found out that hype could only be used immorally, only through deception and things like that, I wouldn't have done it. A, because I like to think of myself as a good person, but also I didn't leave the call center industry to go be, a con artist, Shelter, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah, that wasn't really the, the idea. I wanted to be proud of myself. I found out though, that after I kind of discarded that idea that the cream will, cream will rise to the top. And if I'm good at what I do, everyone will see me. I, I started to open my eyes to the fact that you really need to frame reality in a very, very specific way to get people to do what you want them to do and buy from you. And that, I guess, was the second big truth I figured out. And from that, a lot has grown. I mean, I, I, I went from being a freelance copywriter, being successful at that, to starting a marketing agency, which is, you know, which has been successful. And I now have a book called The Hype Handbook, yeah. all about this idea that, that McGraw-Hill's putting out. So that was another big truth that, that took a while to get to that's led to a lot. So. Yeah, that's important. And I can imagine also you had to look at yourself, too, and see well, how am I making irrational decisions or how, you know, oh, am, am I, yeah. am I making the most 
fact-based decisions or or maybe you are but everybody else isn't you know what's ironic about that is that i had a boss at my the job that i stayed at for eight years when i should have stayed at three and he would do things like like i remember when when i when i shifted from the um the little startup division which is what attracted me to the main company he gave me this line because he knew that wasn't why i was there but he thought i was good and he gave me this line about, well, it's going to still be like the other thing, but just in this and this way different. And it'll give us exposure to a lot of audiences that'll allow us to get into creative activities. And it's funny, I've since found there's a tactic or not a tactic, a strategy called milk before meat. Like when people are trying to sell new religions, yeah. they don't come in and say, you know, I don't know, I'm thinking of the nation of Islam, who, who which is nothing like Islam. It's, it's, it's you know, the, 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 yeah, the tenet of that religion is that there's a mad scientist on another planet named Yakub who created the white race who are literal devils to suppress the original man, which are African people. That's a strange, weird thing that if you just introduced that to people, they'd be like, get out of my face, right? <laughs> right. But what they, what, what they would do in the very beginning, they would come in dressed really nice. They would say, you know, I don't really eat pork or drink alcohol and that gives me self-respect and it allows me to be slim and this and, and that. And so people would do that in clean and tight and self-respect and these were in poor neighborhoods. And as a result, like people, people, it would, they introduced that and they would ease people into the more odd and, and challenging things. And that's what this guy was doing to me. So I saw it every single day working on me. You wow. know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. But I, I didn't, no, no one wants to believe that they're susceptible to that stuff. Right. No, it's true. It's true. Okay. That was great. Well, listen, along those same lines, let's jump into a few topics. And since we are uh, on the heels of finishing up this election and yeah. changing over uh, power here, what self-promotion strategy has Trump used and, and why does it still work with 70 million people in America? Which ones hasn't he used? I mean, it's funny. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Let's talk about it. Because there's a positive side to this, as you said, right? Because I could use these same things and actually have good intentions. In his head, he's got good intentions, but we, we most of us know his intentions aren't that great. But go ahead. I am not a fan. And I don't think he has good intentions. I think his intention is to win. You know, right. I mean, I, I you and know, that's right. good to him. To so, him. That, that's right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fair, fair yeah. enough. It's funny. I read that book by Mary Trump, his niece, you oh, know, that did. was, yeah. You know, that was sort of digging in. And again, I mean, she has, um, you got to take what she says with a grain of salt because her, her father was treated very poorly by that family. He died very young. You know, they, they sort of broke him. So mm. take what she says with a grain of salt. But what I thought was interesting was that even when he was considered the business guy in the 80s, the head of the Trump family, he, it was actually his father. His father wasn't just lending him money. His father was running the operations of the business. So Trump has never been good at doing anything, you know, like doing the doing, the actual doing. But he's fantastic at what I call hype or self-promotion or marketing. Anyone who says he's stupid in that way is, is ridiculous. He's tremendous. And I think that there's two things here. One is that you can draw a direct line. There are people who are awful, awful people who do this stuff really well. And there are also people like, I don't know, I'm thinking of a few examples, Richard Branson, Thomas Edison, Martin Luther King, who used the same fundamental principles to spread their ideas. Sure. So they're amoral. 
That being said, more quote unquote bad people are good at this than good people. Now, why would that be? Is it because these tactics are inherently bad? In my research, I found that that's not the case. It's that narcissists, sociopaths, people like that, people with antisocial personality disorder, they don't let emotions get in the way. In other words, mm. you and I might think about lying to an that, old lady. <laughs> well, there's right. that. That's just lying. But right. even the thing we just talked about, the, the idea that, hey, if my religion is so wonderful, I should just be able to spread the gospel because that's from love. That's what I want to do. Whereas someone who thinks of people as pawns and not as human beings mm -hmm. might be able to pull back and in a very detached way. So, you know. If I really want to get my point across, I should introduce this stuff in segments, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that detachment, not the evil of it. It's the detachment that lets these people be so good at what they do, you know? Mm. And Trump is great. I, I actually, it's funny, early on when I was first thinking about the idea for this book, it was one of the earliest debates and he was a joke candidate. No one thought he would win. And I had this old book called The Crowd. It was a business trip. It's, it's uh, It was the first book of crowd psychology. It's from like 1895. And I was sort of, you know, that thing people, I, I do this in a hotel room. I was sort of half flipping through the book and half watching TV, you know? Yeah. And, some, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy does everything. Trump does everything that this student of how crowds act irrationally like how demagogues act sure he's doing it all like it, it was like this guy read this book as a manual it was crazy so i was wow. like this guy's gonna win yeah and none of my liberal friends believed me but you know we know what happened give, give me an example of something either in that book or the book you wrote that he does i mean in that book and i talk about it in my book too but basically gustav Lebon was this was a doctor was a medical doctor who saw the Paris Commune burn his city, Paris, to the ground, even after they knew they weren't going to win. So, like, they had this big, it was kind of a proto-communist group, and they took the city over for a little while. And then the royal government came in, and there was no chance, but they just, they started burning their own neighborhoods to the ground. It was like this mass hysteria, and that really troubled him. So he wanted to figure out, why does that kind of thing happen? So he studied it and got really into it. So one of the things he says is, a crowd, he, he kind of had this idea that crowds behave differently than individuals. And a crowd can be digital, I mean, whatever. It's just groups that identify as the same thing. And he said, a crowd is extremely swayed by prestige, by symbols of prestige. And when there's no symbols of prestige available, money is a wonderful substitute. Hmm. So people think Trump is awesome. They don't care how he made the money. They don't care that he went bankrupt, but he has golden, you know, walls Toilets, or whatever, right? right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another thing he said is crowds respond to language that is vague and visual and future focused. So make the America wall. great. The wall. That's a great one. Make America great again. I mean, what wow. does that mean? You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. I got it. OK. Another question. Well, how would you think based on, you know, what you wrote about in your book and your, and your company? Why do some consumers follow someone or get engaged with? particular individuals when there's so much content in the world, like, right, you know, earlier we talked about how many podcasts there are. There's so many YouTube channels. There's so many, you know, Instagram pages. What makes one person able to sort of garner that attention? Yeah. I mean, so I, in, in the course of writing this book, I researched, you know, in, in addition to the stuff I had figured out from trial and error for my business, I read countless biographies and, and books on crowd psychology. And I wanted to know, 
are these people just charismatic? Are they all over the map in what they do? Or are there unifying principles? And there's very much unifying principles. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I say there's 12 of them, but okay. you know, the point that that's just my own thing, but like, and yeah, there are just things that these people do usually by accident that are more contagious. So like, for example, yeah, there's a lot of podcasts, but a lot of these podcasts and a lot of great podcasts are called, the, I'm not going to use real names, but the leadership tactics podcast, you know, the business for your life podcast. I mean, they're just about what they are, you right, know, and that's right, great. And right. some of them do well, but one thing that people who spread things do, they take very, very bold stands. So they pick a fight with an idea, you know, now that doesn't mean being a troll. That doesn't mean being insulting, but we all remember the movie independence day where the only thing to unify the earth are the aliens. You know what I mean? Right. So like when Tim Ferriss says the four hour work week, there's an implicit thing in there. He's picking a fight. All of the things we've ever heard with hustle culture, with work hard culture, with corporate drone culture, with who moved my cheese culture. You know what I mean? Right. And so a lot of people have been looking for that. So he becomes their guru, right? Another thing is theatricality. Like you said, telling stories, being flamboyant. I mean, Rush Limbaugh, for, for however you feel about him, and I think I know how you feel about him, <laughs> he's very theatrical. You have these other kind of conservative talk shows from 40 years ago that were these very like stern, you know, C-SPAN type shows, and they attracted C-SPAN type people, or Rush Limbaugh, feminazis and yelling and screaming and bold claims and even his, even the fact that he's so fat and, and with the cigar and, you know, that smoking the cigar, this big fat cigar smoking guy, he's, he's like, a, he's like a character. You can do an outline of him. You know right, what I mean? Right. I think being another one is being a magus, as I call it. There's always been people in society. It's like a magician. They're almost like larger than life characters, you know, and, and they downplay their negative traits and upplay their positive traits. So like mm. Richard Branson, why does he take hot air balloon rides across the Atlantic. Right. You know, you like just that, wrote that article in Forbes today. Oh, I, I yeah, I, I posted, posted it. Yeah, posted yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And I wrote about that in my book. That's exactly what it is, yeah. right? So it's it's what does that have to do with Virgin? I mean, maybe it's in the sky, but why isn't he using an airplane? You know, I don't know, right? So it's because we can't look away. He's like Indiana Jones, right? So we right. want to have a piece of the that. The most so interesting man these, in the world. A hundred percent. It's that whole idea. And he looks like that, right? right. They may have based like that, that on guy. him. I mean, yes. Yeah, with the beard. I mean, this is a guy who, from all that I've heard, is extremely happily married, which is unusual in that world. He's always brought his children to the office. He has a so then why does he have pictures of himself all over the internet with a naked supermodel clinging to his back on a jet ski? Because I want a naked model clinging to my back on the back of a jet ski in my own private island. Who doesn't want a piece of that? I don't mean the model that, that you know, like I, I'm saying right. who doesn't want that, right. that, that life, that the idea of the fantasy of that life. Yeah. The fantasy of that life. So like, and he doesn't even have that life. So like, it's these kinds of things that these people are very conscious about. Yeah. That makes them successful. Interesting. Let's talk about a uh, pandemic a little bit. What do you see as a way for consultants or entrepreneurs to take advantage of, and I use the word advantage very loosely, yeah. what's going on and essentially make lemonade out of lemons? It's a great question. I mean, I think it's something everyone is trying to figure out. Some people are doing it well, and we may veer a little from the hype thing because we've never faced this before. We're, there's a lot of trial and error here, right? But um, 
There's a guy in there named Robbie Samuels. He's a fellow podcaster. His podcaster is called On the Schmooze. It's very good. On the Schmooze. Okay. I like yeah, that name. And, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And and um, he was sort of a, a, a coach and did a lot of stuff about in-person presentation. And that obviously was not going to work anymore, you know, and he got real scared. And what he's done and done really well is he's repositioned himself as the Zoom guy. Like, how do you present yourself well on Zoom? And it's it's done quite well, mm. you know? So, yeah, I, I guess it's been challenging for me because you don't, I guess this comes down to the truth prescription, right? I don't know if this is about hype. I mean, this is, you can sit there and say, oh, I wish this weren't so. This doesn't line up with what I expected. For example, with the book, I was really hoping that I would be able to do in-person speaking gigs because right. I'm really good at that. They yeah. pay well, you know, the whole thing. But but I might have to take a different angle. But then again, there's a guy named, you know, Chester Elton, who's a really great guy who, who does really well with speaking. He writes books. And what he's done, you know, a speaking gig, I don't know his numbers, but let's say a speaking gig pays $20,000 for someone at that level. You could say, oh, no, my business is ruined. I believe what he did is he went to these big corporations and said, listen, instead of me doing an hour long uh, speaking gig where you have to fly me out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for, say, $20,000, why don't you let me do four for a fraction of that? And you can keep the content. Each one will be 20 minutes. But, you know, he doesn't have to leave his home. The four probably adds up to the same amount of money. Sure. And everyone's a winner. So you got to get creative, I guess. Yeah. If you're an entrepreneur, I mean, if you have a job, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess you either have to become an entrepreneur, look for a different job, but hopefully, <laughs> I mean, employment seems to be coming back. I mean, if you're, if you're in services, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. yeah that's why tough. I, I kind of kept it to the question to entrepreneurs and consultants and even coaches, because um, we have a little bit more flexibility in terms of how we maneuver. But yeah, there are people that have nine to fives that, to your point, service industry that they can't be moved to Zoom. A lot of people are hurting right now. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's a hard time. I mean, it's, I mean, you, you can't, we all want to be the ones who adapt well. But I also think, honestly, on podcasts like this and, and in books of the kind that we read and write and everything, there's a lot of talk about making, making lemons into lemonade. And you can do that. And it's better to have that point of view. But sometimes a bunch of sour lemon juice gets dumped down your throat. I yeah. mean, you know, I, yeah. I mean, sometimes life sucks. For a little while, yes, you know, and there's nothing you can do, right? And then it gets better, hopefully. I think the faster you can step into that energy of acceptance, the faster you can make lemons, lemonade. I, I agree. But yeah, to your point, when this, in, I mean, when this initially hit, a lot of us, including myself, I was like, "Whoa, what is going on here?" And yeah. at the time, I was sort of transitioning out of the emergency department anyway. I was so, going to ask about that. Yeah. Do you still, are you still a physician? I mean, do you still? Well, I'm still licensed in I'll, New I'll, York I'll, and New I'll, Jersey. I'll, uh, not, not naturally, but, uh, but do you still I, practice at all? I don't. Or? I don't. Yeah. I'm, I'm essentially um, doing this and coaching full time. So it's been a gift for me, but it was challenging mentally in the beginning to Except, you know what, I think this is the time to really pivot full. And it's something I wanted to do anyway, you know, for, for some time. For some time, I wanted to really be involved in cre creativity, doing the podcast, working with, because I've, I've coached for pro around the time when the podcast started is when I started coaching, but never full time. I would have like, you know, a couple clients a year. But um, now, you know, 2020, you know, I've, I've right now I've got a full slate. So it's been good. I think part of it is the fact that you built that up 
early too. If you were an emergency room doctor and you hadn't been exploring that early, you couldn't have just pivoted. I mean, but listen, I really admire on a deep level. And I know a bunch of people who worked in health services during this time. They're like soldiers, you know, at the same time, you're risking your life. I mean, that is a tough thing. I mean, yeah, it gets, and not just me, like a lot of my friends, it's frustrating because you go into work, you're putting yourself at risk for whatever reason, sometimes a hospital wouldn't have the proper PPE, the proper amount of masks, or you have to reuse masks. And then you're we potentially- We know why. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're potentially going back home and risking infecting your family. I even know a guy who still stays in his garage, you know, this this for these last seven months. And his wife brings the food to the garage door. Yeah. How do you sit there with people on ventilators spewing what they're spewing out of their mouths and all that, and then go home to your family? I mean, yeah. that's that's a tough thing to do, you know? It's tough. It's tough. Some people can pivot, some people can't. And to your point, yeah. I have been building something over the last five, six years. So it was it was time and I, you know, I was able to do it. But <laughs> I think I think we landed on something though. It's really about connecting with your creativity in these times. And everybody's creative. Some people think, well, I can't sing, I can't dance. Yeah, but you have a right side of your brain. And so that side of your brain, the point of it is to help you create new things. So even if it's something as simple as you're a good problem solver, that's creating, right? Anytime you create something from nothing, that's creation. And so trying to use those skills and talents within the context of what's going on in the world and how it can help you uh, career-wise is, I think, a, a good place to start. But then again, I mean, for various reasons, both personal and and professional, I had a rough bump for two, three months, you know, I'm, I'm, I've pulled out of it, but I was constantly like, I got to fight this. I got to do this. I got to, you know, it, it's on me. If I can't figure this out, it's on me. And I eventually did figure it out. But it, to your point, it was only when I said, you know what, this is a really bad time. I mean, if you're in World War II and you get shot in the arm, like that's not your fault, <laughs> right? you know? You're right. Yeah, you know? Right. Yeah. right. And it's like, all right, I mean, accept it. I got shot, clean this wound up, yeah. figure out, you know, what I'm going to do within the context of all these other bullets flying past me. Right. And that's yeah. the, that's the tough part. Cause I think in general we get in this, we get in autopilot for entrepreneurs less so because we're used to daily changes, but for most of America, they're used to, I get up, I do this, I go to this place from nine to five and then I come home. And it feels stable, right? It feels stable, but it's not. This showed us that it's not. It's somewhat of an illusion. Before I go to yes or BS, the last section, you mentioned to me in an email that, Part of the impetus for this book was something that you had gone through personally. Do you want to discuss that or you want to leave that to another time? I mentioned my father, you know, I don't talk about this a lot, but he had that personality. That's sort of what I've come to. I really don't talk about this a lot at all. Okay. Because I, I don't like it's up to, to you. I don't want. But, I don't want no, to push but, you. But, but I will. No, no, no. I will. I will. I'm, I, I, I believe he has what what people would refer to as narcissistic personality disorder. It, it was kind of the the type of thing where. In my family, you know, he owned a business and I grew up thinking he was like the heir apparent to to Thomas Edison. Like he was the greatest, you know, he he used to tell me he invented the 401k. I mean, it turns out he was one of the early people in that field, you know, everything. So I really had this sort of distorted view of reality and it caused a lot of, in my adult life, a lot of anguish and a lot of trying to live up to things. But he was extremely persuasive. He would find a business partner who had an extremely successful business, not extremely, a perfectly successful business convince them that 
to join up with him would be the thing that's going to make them millions. And one out of every 10 of them would succeed. And my father would do really well. But nine out of 10, after these people worked around the clock, it would cause their business to fail. You know what I mean? Yeah. He would berate people at work like I've never seen, but they would work with him for 20 for 20 years. And then they would he would say, well, I must be doing something right. People work with me. But they were like these people who gather around Trump. You know what I mean? So we're on very poor terms. Um, even now, have, even today. Yeah, we are. I mean, I have friends that I've been friends with since I was seven. I don't feud with people. That's I'm like a really friend oriented family and family oriented person. But yeah, it's uh, um. so I think it was challenging for me. We all have our challenges. I'm not playing the fiddle. You know, you ask, <laughs> you know, sure. but 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 at the same time, it was beyond just the business part. I got really fascinated by, well, hold on. These tactics are so useful are they inherently evil because if if so we got to fight them with all that we got yeah or can they be applied differently and it, it bothered me that only the bad guys had them and i don't want to call my father a bad guy but he's sure. but he's manipulative and all of that so sure. so you know um i wanted to teach people maybe who were a little more like me who wear their heart on their sleeve a little who are a little bit my nature is to just not be that way to how, give, how to, to, get, to, excuse my friends, to give a shit. Like you care, you know, you care about what you're doing. You care about, things. Yeah, about you, other people, maybe yeah, you, you, not you, just for my aims, you yeah. know, but maybe a little self-sacrificing at times, which is not a great thing all the time. You know what I mean? Sure. Not always. I've certainly gone after what I've wanted in life. I've certainly, people have helped me a lot, you know, in my life. So I can't say that I sacrificed everything for everyone. That's not really accurate. I feel guilty about things, you know, yeah, you know, that sort of thing. I want to say, can you give people who are more like that, those tools, you know, so they have a shot. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like your dad is sort of, although you've been successful, he's sort of in the background there lurking, you know, in your psyche, just kind of that figure that's always poking, prodding, you know, maybe you even hear his voice sometimes saying things to you. It's tough. Yeah. A lot less than I used to, you know, I mean, um, it's always back there, right? You can't, you can't escape your upbringing, but, um, but you can, you can, I have, (laughs) you have, I I can and you, well, I'll say this, there's opportunities and possibilities to escape anything, but you know, with, with the right technique and with the right amount of time. Escape might be the wrong word because I, I have, and I know a lot of people have. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, because you probably know more about me than this, no matter how healthy you get in your thinking and no matter what you do, you grew up how you grew up. So somewhere deep in there, that voice is going to come up once in a while and you can, you can talk to it. You can smooth it out. You can be rational. You can have a healthy voice, but I don't think it ever just goes away. No, no, it's it. It it ultimately comes down to what we were talking about earlier with acceptance, but the acceptance has to be on, it can't just be psychological. It has to be on a visceral level. What do you mean? Meaning, let's say I had a, a parent that said I was stupid all the time. And so when yeah. I'm out in the world, I hear the voice. I could rationally know, well, hey, I'm, say I became, I was an attorney. Hey, I'm an attorney. I'm not stupid. I could rationally say that. But what ends up happening is when you get those thoughts, it creates a physiological change in your body. Heart rate goes up. Maybe you sweat. You start to feel anxious. Those things you can't, you can't change back with a a thought. So there's certain things and techniques and things that I teach when I work with people, how you can actually obtain or realize acceptance, not just mentally, but in your body. And then once it's in the body, then you have much more to work with. 
It's it's tough, you know, but it's possible. You know what's been useful to me? And I, I don't know if I'm hacking together something that you do with people more formally, but you know, I've tried it all, right? Exercise, meditation. I like meditation, except when I'm I went through a, a really tough time at one point and it was really, really challenging for me to just sit and be alone with my thoughts. It's fine when things are okay. Sure. What I started doing, I got interested in a martial art called Wing Chun. It's a type yes. of kung fu. Yes. Yeah. And um I started it at the beginning of the pandemic, which is really ironic. I mean, I had heard about it. I was like, there's no way that I'm, I took one class before the thing hit. And then I heard about this and I was like, well, there's no way this can happen now. It's a martial art, but I'll call the Sifu, you know, the teacher. And she said, well, you know, there's a lot you can do before touching hands, which is what they call sparring because there's a lot of forms in this martial art. There's a lot of stuff. So I started doing it and that kind of, for on a couple of levels, one, it's extremely meditative, but you're moving, you have to master a skill. I'm not particularly a good athlete, but I practice and I've gotten very good at it. So that's helpful. And also the idea that I'm slowly, but surely, even at 43 years old, getting to the point where I think I'll be able to defend myself. I can stand up for myself in an intellectual situation, but you know, have there been times where I've been in line and someone looked bigger than me and they cut and I didn't eh, let it go. The idea that I could walk into a room and know I could defend myself if I could. All of those, it's been really um, pretty life-changing for me, Wing Chun. I don't know, you, you nodded. It seems like you've heard of it, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's different people need different things. For men, I find a lot of times boxing, Thai, Wing Chun, any type of Kung Fu where yeah. you can physically start getting connected with the body. And especially yeah. if, not necessarily in your case, but I've worked with people whose father was not necessarily physically abusive, but sort of mentally abusive. And they felt beat down by that person. There was a little of that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Doing these types of things helps with, as what you just said, not only can you stand up to the proverbial bully in the lunch line, but you can stand up to that proverbial bully in your head. Like you'll know I can take care of myself. There's nothing you can do intellectually or physically to harm me. So, you know, what's next? I didn't next? think of it that way. I like that. That's, That's a, really yeah. interesting. I no, really didn't think of that piece. Super powerful. It's been really, really useful. I, I, yeah, it's really, wait, what were you saying? Yeah, that's really interesting. This is what I did for myself. I went to acting school, but most specifically, impromptu, not impromptu. I can't think of the name. Um, basically, when you you do a class where you just learn how to, you put two people on stage and they just, you figure out a scene and it doesn't oh, like matter improvisation, what improvisation, improvisation, like improv. Yeah. Exactly. So doing improv is really also really helpful. Cause again, it gets you in touch with your feelings. It's very physical. It helps you to emote, right? Cause a lot of people, there's a lot of things that they haven't said over their lifetime <laughs> that's stuck yeah. in there. And so right. it helps them to emote. So yeah, there's a whole intellectual thing that obviously you can do and Therapy is kind of good good for that. But the thing I like about coaching is that it really focuses on the now and the future. So what am I yeah. doing now? And what are my steps to getting where I want to go? And yeah. things like what you're talking about are very important because they're physical now. Like, you know, you're 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 learning, you're growing, you're building now. It's good that you uh that that you found that. So I used to say to people, so I like sports like I like basketball but I'm I'm bad and I'm clumsy and I sometimes have <laughs> you know the difficulty telling the difference between left and right I know it sounds stupid like it like I'll hesitate and someone told me I may have had a learning disability there are these spatial learning disabilities and on one hand learning that really freed me up because before that I was just the little boy who you know I was a spaz you know and sure. and knowing I have this thing but also it becomes an excuse. You're just kind of like, I'm just bad at sports. I'm bad at physical things. And I told my seafood, and I had taken Aikido for two weeks once. And the, and the 
sensei was like screaming and yelling and, you know, and then you just have to follow along without being taught. And I quit, you know, and I was like, I'm not good at this. And this Sifu is really, her name's Meredith Carraher. And, and, and she, she basically is like, listen, you may have that, but if, but Kung Fu just means hard work to master something. That's what it literally means in Chinese. I don't know, you know, so I just dedicated myself to it and I, I come every week and I'm, am I as quick as some other people? No, but I'm mastering all the moves and the confidence that that brings me. Cause I know that I can learn how to do some writing thing or some business thing, but knowing that I can master something that I'm quote unquote, I've always been not good at quote unquote. I don't know. That really trickles down into the rest of your life. It does. Yeah. I, and I'll just say this and then we'll move on. But I had a client that I was working with. One of her main complaints was that she used to do yoga a lot, but she hurt her ankle and now she's depressed because she can't do yoga. And sometimes something so simple, and this is why, you know, people work with coaches, something so simple. I just said, well, if you can't go out, especially because of the pandemic, why don't we find somebody, we'll get them tested and we'll have them come to your house. Right. She's doing, she, she started doing yoga again and it's contributed to how great she, she began to feel and the progress that she began to make. It's important. It's important. But yeah, this, the, the physical thing is, is, is very important because we're not just walking, walking brains, right? There's a whole apparatus here that we're dealing with, that we're working with. And there are nerves attached, right? I mean, people think of their brains, but they say there's like, I mean, you know more than me, you're a doctor, but nerves in your gut that are very prominent, nerves Correct. all the over Vegas. the place. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. what happens is so many of us that were traumatized as children get disconnected from our bodies. And so in order to really get into your full power, you have to reconnect with your body. And so some of these things like improv, like Kung Fu, like Tai Chi, like meditation to a lesser extent helps you to do that. And so. just the last thing I'll say about this that I find so interesting is that idea when I'm feeling bad about something and something feels so real, I suck at this, I'll never do this, I'll never do that. And then you do a physical activity and everything changes in your mindset. It's funny. I think sometimes we think it starts in our brain, but really it starts in our body. We have a weird feeling in our stomach or our heart is beating fast. And then we say we feel bad, but it's like, (laughs) it's the opposite, you know, yeah, of what we think. Yeah, 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 no, it's true. There's a a great book called um, The Body Keeps the Score. You should check it out. It's uh, Dr. Vander Kolk, I think is his last name. He's done a ton of research and he talks a lot about these kind of things. Let's jump into yes or BS. So I'm going to make a statement and then you get to say yes or BS. If you really feel aggressive, you can say bullshit. You can uh, expound on why it's yes or why it's BS. All right. Okay. Number one, marketing is about creating fantasy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you can have two people with the exact same concrete stuff and one will sell like crazy and one will bomb. And it's a function of not what the thing is. It's what image of that thing have you created in enough people's minds? And that's the definition of fantasy. So, yeah, I was just having an argument with my not an argument, but like a discussion with my wife about marketing because she's uh, she works in marketing. (laughs) But basically, (laughs) I was saying that Marketing lies to people. I said, there's no way when I look up on my TV and I see this this chiseled model with a clean shave that if I use that same razor, I'm going to be chiseled. But that's what we know it's a lie. We know it's (laughs) a lie. That's what they're trying to tell me. So 
is lie the right word? Because lying, it's like a lie. I know. It's, it's but, yeah. Meaning if you said to someone, use the, use this special electronic device and you're going to get a sick spec. They don't say that. Nobody yeah. says that. But that's what's right. implied. It's implied. It's almost well, they make like, an association. They, they associate the two things It's together. like a woman that comes in and wears a t-shirt and another woman that comes in with a, a low-cut blouse, right, where you see cleavage. It's implied. There's a, this, there's, there's a sexual thing that's implied with the cleavage and there's not with the, with the other person. Anyway. I forget when Axe Body Spray came out, but it was at a point where I was just not dating a lot. Right. And I would see them spray the thing and the girls and the would girls, tackle exactly. them. Exactly. I assure you, as pathetic as this sounds, and now the connotations of Axe Body Spray, there was a part of me, I never used it, but <laughs> right. there was a part of me that considered getting that yes. so that hot girls exactly. would jump Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, yes, it's not a blatant lie, but it, it creates a fantasy that implies something correct yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> number two and this question is about about your work at microfame media organizations are easier to work with than individuals oh and before i say well i said it in the intro but i'll say it again here microfame media is uh the company that michael is the founder and president of and they basically help entrepreneurs and consultants become thought leaders in certain areas of specialization okay so organizations are easier to work with than individuals can I give a sometimes or do I have to pick? No, one? no, you can. I gotta, it's up to you. You can say yes. You can say yeshish, bieshish. I would say that I've um, bieshish, bieshish. I've had clients who are individuals who are easy to work with. I've had organizations that are difficult. I would say, on balance, though, ironically, organizations are easier because an individual has a lot of stake in what they're doing. So, meaning individuals have anxiety, organizations don't have the same kind of anxiety. So if an or individual is in, investing with you, sometimes what they're asking about isn't accurate. It's the color of this, the hue of that, the thing, but it means so much to them. The stakes are so high to them that you have to sort of field all of those concerns in a way that you don't always with an organization where people are going home at six o'clock. Okay. Number three, fame or micro fame, fame breeds success. Yes, more in the modern world than than it used to. You know, I mean, I think there was a time where, well, no, yeah, I think that um, it's really or does success breed fame? You'd like to think that success <laughs> bred fame, and sometimes it does, right? Like I think Robert De Niro is famous because he's a good actor. Paris Hilton got acting roles because she's famous. You know what I mean? So, but I think in our modern world, I mean, look at the president. He, he, all he has is fame. I mean, he's famous for being a cartoon cut out of a businessman. I mean, he's literally a hologram of a business person on two. It's like that show, the running man, that movie with like right. the, the game show that. host, you right. know? Yeah. And like Richard Dawson from the family feud was like the dictator and he was like a game <laughs> show host, you know? Right. Right. That's like the world we're living in. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> Number four, thought leaders must be intelligent. Well, these are good. <laughs> I write them myself. I'll have you know. They should be intelligent, but I would say, boy, I've, <laughs> I've met some less than intelligent, quote unquote, thought, thought leaders. leaders so. right, right? Yeah, many. Yeah, I would say uh, bullshit on that one. Yeah. All right. Number five, changing someone's mind is easy. Nah, yeah, that's bullshit. It's hard. <laughs> Very hard. <laughs> Number six, AOC would be a great client for Microfame Media. Nah, because I just insulted her the other day on <laughs> Twitter. Did you see? Did you see? Yeah, I did. You saw that? Yeah. 
But sometimes, you know, if you insult someone, you see an area where you can help them. So that's why I asked the question. No, no, honestly, listen, <laughs> she is a remarkably smart woman. Yeah. She is remarkably competent, doing at her age things that I couldn't have done. And I think she's trying to save the world. I think a lot of what she does is good. I do think that she, we could talk for hours about that, that she <laughs> and also other members of her side of, of the political spectrum. And I, I'll just admit I'm a Democrat, but I feel like the far left often uses a one size fits all interpretation and solution to a wide range of complex problems, which makes things not as useful. I mean, should we talk about the particular, I mean, I think the thing I tweeted AOC, right. I mean, but Biden hadn't even won yet. And she was saying that anybody who thinks the Lincoln project did a good job and doesn't instead support the grassroots, you know, people is, is motivated by racial resentment. And, you know, I don't know that that's accurate. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah. that no, you're right. Because I, I like yeah. the Lincoln project. I thought yeah. they did a great job. I see what you're saying, like that level of dogmatism where they're just like, it must be this way or it's wrong. Like everything, everything is racial resentment. Yeah, a lot is. A lot is. But everything. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. All right. Last one. Spectacle over substance is the best way to attract attention. To attract attention. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. I work with a lot of consultants. That's my main client base. If you're incompetent at what you do, or if you're mediocre, you won't do well. So like you have to have some kind of substance, right? I think where this comes into play is that I've seen people who are just excellent at what they do. They have these really, really sophisticated ideas and they're doing all right. They scrap for work. And then there are people whose stuff is good. You know, it's nothing new, but it helps. And they're just killing it. And a lot of times the ones who are excellent, who if, if organizations implemented their stuff, they'd make twice the money. They'd be 10 times more inefficient. They say, if everyone just saw how good this stuff was, it's not fair because I don't focus on the promotion. I'm like, that's exactly the problem. Like you, you are so focused on your stuff, but you frame it so poorly that no one gets it because our minds are simple. That's actually one of the most powerful things I think we've said in this interview, that our minds are simple. And then our messaging, like the wall, if we're, if we're, and this is for the artists and entrepreneurs and consultants and, and folks listening, if you have a message that you want to get out there, simple is better. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a, that's a nice, a nice note to end on. Simple is better. Michael F. Shine. This was great. I, this was one of my favorites. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> You got me to go to some some heartfelt places I there. Know. You know? That's what yeah. I do. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Michael, let the people know how they can reach you, connect with you, and if they want to get some more information on um, Microframe Media. And also, I'll just drop this. The book, uh, the High Pan book, is coming out on uh, January 12th, 2021. Yeah, I mean, certainly um, it would be my honor and and pleasure for as many people to read the book as possible. You know, obviously, if you go to your local bookstore, if they have it, that's always great to support. You know, Barnes and Noble is carrying it. Amazon's carrying it. Uh, if you want to order digitally. Yeah, I mean, my company's Microfame Media. So you can check check me out there. My website's com. Another thing we do, which is a lot of fun, I have a thing called the Hype Book Club, sometimes called the Hype Book List. So the books I, I tend to read are not the typical marketing and sales books. They're kind of these really off the beaten track stuff. So if you're a reader, I recommend the best of those on a regular basis. And that's um, 
You'll probably put these in the show notes, but it's hypereads.com slash list. Then I try to be a little funny and irreverent with the with the blurbs. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, that's fun too. Awesome. And thanks for the ability to let me uh, plug myself. I appreciate it. Oh, that. for sure. I mean, this is yeah. this is the podcast is supposed to be a place where people can come get information to, to better themselves. And that's that's what it's all about. Once you accept the truth, then now you have to figure out, all right, now I've accepted this. Now what am I gonna do with all this acceptance? <laughs> Right. So uh, this is the place to, to, to get that done. Michael, thank you so much. And uh, I will sign off as I always do. The truth will set you free if you let it. Ooh.